0: Revelations 1 to 5 should be on the screen. Thank you, Sarah. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw... The seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Silence. One of the the things about uh, speaking in public is is that fear that all the words that you had and wanted to say vanish. And you stand in front of people with that awkward silence, with a goldfish mouth. What happens next? Not only is there great anxiety uh, amongst, uh, in the heart of the person preaching, but give it a bit of time, there would also be a rising anxiety amongst you what's going on what's happening why the pause there's a, a, a phrase in in kind of um in life nature of abhors a vacuum do you know that one it's uh, that the space tends to get filled have you ever been in, in a conversation with one of those people who's really introverted and, and is, um, is, you know, you've tried your best at conversation and there's that pause and that pause extends a little bit. And everything within you kind of wants to say, to break it and say something. And often you say something kind of a little bit ridiculous just to get over the silence. John, in his understanding, his vision of being caught up in seeing, of being given revelation, insight... Is caught at this most wonderful occasion where we have heard about the great multitude in chapter 7, uh, the 144,000, and then he sees before the throne a great multitude, no one can count, a great uh, a declaration of praise from every language and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen, praise and glory. A great declaration. And then the seventh seal is opened. And rather than a cheer or rapturous thunder, silence. For half an hour. Bliss to those who have busy lives, perhaps. Thinking, where is the quietness now? But silence. Why? We're in a, a theme uh, under the title Dangerous Faith, learning lessons from Revelation. We're so overjoyed that we're using these videos with Ron boyd McMillan. I hope you're enjoying them. He's uh, entitled this the most astonishing verse in the Bible, chapter 8, verse 1. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. It speaks of prayer. God loves it when we pray. He really, really does love it. And uses the image here of incense, like the sweetest of fragrance. I know prayer is tough. It seems like a burden. But if you change your thinking, change your mindset, that every prayer, even just that shortest utterance, is like sweet-smelling incense, the perfume of great great olfactory beauty before God. You may think you're rubbish at praying. You haven't got the words like, like those who you kind of look up to and think, if oh, no, I could pray like that. Lose that comparison. That every prayer, every utterance from the heart, from the mind, vocalized or not, the Lord loves from you and is a sweet, sweet offering. He loves it when we pray. Sometimes we, we're not so keen on incense uh, because we're used to fine perfumes. Um, I don't know if you've put any on today or aftershaves. Uh, but perfume is, is kind of one of those things that, that helps us avoid the bad smell. Incense, again, in that old times was to avoid the, uh, the, the bad smell. We're lucky to have deodorant, aren't we? If you live in London and have ever been in London in the height of summer on the tube, you know why deodorant is so important. Um, in, in kind of olden times there wasn't such luxury of, of chemicals to apply so regularly and so incense was one of those ways to cover up the, the smells and the reality of life. It was brought home to me once in India, sorry, well, not sorry about the Indian theme, I was, I was leading a house group on the, um, on, outside a sweet shop in one of the suburbs of one of the, the poorer communities and uh, the lady, an elderly lady was running this sweet shop, it was place that she would pray and witness from and uh, we were uh, there was put some mats out and we were the the road and the traffic was going on and people gathered and as I was sitting on the step of the sweet shop kind of thinking and praying about what to speak about um, I realized there was this awful smell because the mat was covering the, the sewer drain and it wasn't piped away it was kind of there that that I was sitting on the mat and there was a little bit of block of concrete covering it and then either side was the drain and the sewage if you have ever had block drained you know it's not a great smell I was thinking this is really bad but then another fragrance caught me and because the lady lived there and worked there all the time and she had to put up with the stench so she thought I will counteract it she planted a jasmine tree and at the side of a shop was this beautiful big jasmine tree. And it was blooming. You know what jasmine's like in the evening and the morning. It, the fragrance comes out. And it was kind of like this weird polarization. That at one moment I was smelling the stuff of life. You know what I mean. And then in the other moment. There was this waft of beautiful jasmine. Which completely masked. And hid. And covered over. Prayer as we're told, is this sweet offering, this incense to God. He really loves it when we pray. Let's gain a little bit of insight for our life now, 21st century, United Kingdom. Learn some lessons from the scripture and from our sisters and brothers who are walking in a very different context, but help us with this truth. Thank you, Sarah.
1: There are very few silences in Scripture. This is one of the most astonishing. All heaven quietens down so God can hear the prayers of His suffering saints. And if that is not astonishing enough, there's more. God has been waiting to bring justice until His saints have prayed. After hearing, he acts, fire is thrown, trumpets are blown, and whenever trumpets sound, walls tumble down, judgment comes, justice prevails, and in the end, prayers are answered in the ultimate way, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ. And all this, partly, as a result of our prayers. It took a great Christian philosopher to comprehend how astonishing this is. Blaise Pascal said, prayer is God's way of providing human beings with the dignity of causality. For the Christian, at the end of the rope, revelation reveals three giant truths about prayer we cannot do without. First, no force in the world can stop a person praying. Nothing. No one can take the power of the believer away to pray. They can be forbidden to do it, but they cannot be stopped from doing it. Today, there are upwards of 50,000 Christians in labor camps in North Korea. They are despised. They live on rats. They're forbidden even to look up at the sky. But nothing in the world can stop them praying. They don't have to sink to their knees or raise their hands or look up. They can pray as they work, pray as they walk, Pray as they lie in their beds. Pray anywhere, anytime. That's a great comfort to a believer under pressure. Being in jail is all about having your freedom to do things stopped. You can't go where you like. You can't say what you want. But we have been put into a world where the least we can do is the most we can do. Pray. The whole book of Revelation is an answer to prayer, the prayer of a prisoner. John is a prisoner on an island called Patmos, exiled, isolated, mistreated perhaps, no longer free to spread the word wherever he wanted to go. But in the same sentence, he says, And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. John was praying, fellowshipping with the very Godhead, That's the power of prayer. You can sit in a cell and yet join God in the heavenlies. And what do prisoners pray? What do believers say when they are in deep trouble? Even here, there is a great liberation. God invites us to pray as we can, not as we ought. In chapter six, the saints cry out, how long, O Lord, before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Wherever we are, whatever trouble we are in, God just wants us to speak out to Him. We don't have to move our lips, but we do have to form a prayer. Whatever is on our heart, we take it to Him. And there's no shame in asking God, how long? Many Christians have said that the hardest thing about persecution is not the confinement, not the isolation, it is the time. We all unconsciously set limits on how long we should suffer. And when those limits are passed, we have to ask, how much longer, God? We shouldn't be ashamed. The great persecuted horde of the church of the first century asked the same from their cells, from their crosses, from their exiles. Pray as you can, not as you ought. No force in the world can stop us. We can be stopped from everything else but not this. Second, no force in the world can stop a prayer from being heard. There was silence in heaven. When we utter a prayer, this is what happens, and it's astonishing. An angel helps. As our words ascend, they are mixed with incense. This purifies our prayers for the ears of God. Prayer is thankfully never dependent on how worthy or pure we are. If that was the case, few could pray with any confidence that God would hear. And then they are carried into silence. Silence in heaven. There's no precedent to silence in heaven. A faithful pastor put it this way in war-torn Syria. He said, it expresses how much God is waiting and ensuring no other voice will deter the prayers of the saints. It is the ultimate picture of how much God wants to hear us pray. Revelation is a noisy book. It's full of thunder, lightning, war, screams. But on the throne, where all the power is, there is silence for a time. God is waiting in silence to hear our prayers. And then, finally, the prayers are returns to the earth. Fire from the altar, that's God's spirit, is enabling irresistible power. God has waited, God has heard, God has acted. And third, no force in the world can stop a prayer from being answered. When this angel carries the prayers down to the earth from the throne, what's the result? Trumpets are blown. In the Bible, trumpets make walls fall down. Remember Jericho. The Israelites would no longer live on promises in the desert. Trumpets have been blown. God brought the walls down, and Israel has a new home. Other trumpets are blown in the Bible, too. They're blown to signal years of jubilee. They're blown to call the faithful to prayer at the temple. They're blown when the Lord returns. A thorough cleansing, a mighty conquering, a final coming, a new time for the kingdom. And the result of all these trumpets, which bring the judgment of God on the evildoers, is to create the kingdom of God on earth, which is the purpose of everything. And God did all this in response to prayer, our prayers. Given this amazing freedom, are we taking advantage of this astonishing silence where God is waiting to act as a result of our prayers? Many years ago, there was a famous conference. Eminent church leaders and mission leaders had gathered to think about the church in China. And little was known at the time of the church in that great land, because this was 1975. A madness had seized the land, had launched a stifling initiative which tried to bring a communist utopia. Bibles were banned, pastors imprisoned and killed, churches were closed. No one knew whether the church even existed anymore. It was a revelation scenario. Well, invited to this conference, was an elderly man called Brother Willis, who had been saved in a revival in Wales in his childhood. And as the conference progressed, no one saw him. Where's Brother Willis, people asked. Few knew, but Brother Willis was praying. And as he was praying, a trumpet was sounding. China was opening up. He had been burdened to pray the moment he arrived In his room, he was on his knees for 14 hours a day. He wouldn't answer the door. He didn't even eat. And after a week of this, he came down to speak to all the delegates. What is an intercessor, he asked. An intercessor is a man or woman who prays and weeps in the secret place of prayer until God stoops down and dries their tears. And then he paused and he said with dramatic effect, I have learned in prayer that God is about to open China up. Get ready. At the end of the conference, Brother Willis asked the organizer if he would take him to a point where they could look over into mainland China. And he was taken to a place in Hong Kong's new territories, and they gazed over into fields, stretching beyond the barbed wire. And Brother Willis turned around, and he said to those who were there, I say again, this is what the Lord told me in prayer. Soon, China will open up, and when it does, it will remain open for the Lord. This was October 1975. A few months later, the Chinese premier, Zhao Enlai, was dead. A year later, Mao Zedong was dead. Two years later, Deng Xiaoping was resurrected, and China began to open up in Lo Wu, it's called, there are no rice fields now. Instead, you will see gleaming skyscrapers, factories, and apartment buildings, and you'll hear the urban roar of the world-class city of Shenzhen, the first gateway to China. And I stand there remembering Brother Willis, who has long departed this life, and what he taught about prayer. You look at the city. Who built this? Who made Shenzhen possible? Was it the work of Deng Xiaoping and his Four Modernizations policy, opening China up to Western markets for the first time in 1978, after 30 years of isolation? Or was it a 75-year-old man, Brother Willis, who built this city by putting his elbows on a bed in a hotel room and interceding in prayer for 14 hours a day with tears and groans. If you take seriously the book of Revelation, then the opening of China was a spiritual miracle long before it became an economic miracle. Intercession forces us to ask, who is really running the world? It is God. And that is why the most contradictory revolution of the 20th century where a communist party embraces capitalism becomes the means of a door being flung open to the gospel where the world's largest ever Christian revival was taking place and now is changing the rest of the world too that man prayed there was silence in heaven trumpets blew and God moved to create the world's largest ever revival of course it wasn't just brother Willis there must be many others too and the joy of heaven will be to meet these nameless saints and thank them for their prayers that moved the hand that moves the world. Can we have the same ambition for our prayers now that we realize what happens to them as we pray and what results from them in the end? No wonder the book of Revelation ends with a man praying. It's the author John again, still a prisoner, As a result of his tour around the heavenlies, he's still praying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.
0: Verse 5 of chapter 8. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it to the earth. There's a lovely sense that God loves it, really loves it when we pray. And in that silence, in that space that the Lord attends and he hears, there's also that sense that he He lovingly collects. That our prayers are not vain or wishful thinking or just simply hot air. But the partnership and way that we engage with him. There's a semi-famous quote that says, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. We know, as a church, that that what God has done amongst us over the years can be traced back to some faithful people and a handful, half a dozen praying, saying, "Lord, change the atmosphere. Lord, change the story of this church. Don't let it close. Don't let it be blown away like chaff in the wind." As we tell the story from time to time in. In vision meetings and, and in the coming months, as we remind ourselves what God has done, let's not forget, it's wrought through prayer. Pray as you can, not as you ought. I came across, some of you may have seen it, Pete Grieg, who leads the 24-7 Prayer Initiative. He, um, uh, we, we were using some of his material in our prayer week earlier in March. He said, uh, he said this, and I, I've written down a couple of the things. He says, can I be honest with you? And he says this first line, which was a little bit shocking for a man who's leading a prayer movement. He says, I'm not into prayer. I'm into Jesus. So we talk. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God. So I ask for his help a lot. And then he says, I'm not into evangelism. I hate evangelism, but I am into Jesus. So I talk to people about him. I'm going to ask the band to come back and we're going to to respond to, to what we've heard. We're going to start with some silence.